You are now listening to In The Trench. Welcome back to another episode of In The Trench. Today we have a very fun episode. Our good friend Ken Gerhard came on the podcast today. And for those of you who don't know Ken, Ken is a world-renowned author and cryptozoologist. He's been on shows all over History Channel that has to do with a topic as like Ancient Aliens and other shows like that similar. Um, Ken actually sent us his book that I will be reading in its entirety because I am extremely interested in all these topics and I want to be able to be more informed for future episodes when I'm able to talk to other cryptozoologists because rest assured they are also coming special episode coming at the end of this month but thanks again for Canada coming on the show we talked about so many topics from bigfoot to thunderbirds to aliens and to my own personal experience that i had when i was a kid and he was able to weigh in on the topic a little bit more um appreciate you ken again for coming on thank you so much and stay tuned for the next week's episode which is also going to be a pretty good one so see you guys then thank you so much for joining i'm just, when nicole told me she got you on i'm like no way i've seen this guy all over history channel before well, I'm honored to be on your show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. Um, Do I sound okay? Yeah, you sound fantastic. You sound great. And um, I am so interested to know what's behind you. I see so many, like, pictures and, like, drawings of what looks to be cryptids oh, behind you. Yeah, my whole apartment is covered with pictures of cryptids and articles and things. Actually, uh unfortunately i don't have my computer set up but a better view is up here where i have all my bigfoot casts and different trinkets but uh yeah there's a few things behind me sea monsters and sasquatches and the beast oh, of Javadan. let's just get into it i'm so excited i've never it's it's very rare to have someone that is in this field that i can like just ask all the questions i have about um well, I guess the first one I want to I want to ask, or just I guess the first question I have is, what is like your main cryptid that I guess you are either fascinated with, on the hunt for? What is the one oh. that you would say the main? Oh gosh, yeah, people ask me that a lot. It's really hard for me to choose. I enjoy being a generalist, so I cover a lot of different topics: Bigfoot, the Loch Ness monster, other lake monsters, uh, you know, four-legged beasties. But I guess my uh, the one that I'm associated with the most within the field of cryptozoology would be the Thunderbirds, which are the giant winged creatures that people have reported seeing. They don't get as much publicity as some of the others, but I've been uh, investigating those actively for, you know, 20 plus years. And I've interviewed so many witnesses that claim they've seen these giant, well, there's actually two types. Some people say they look like monstrous birds uh, with like a 15 or 20 foot wingspan dark feathers and a hooked beak, kind of like a raptor or an exciptorid type of bird. And then a lot of witnesses have also described things that they describe, you know, they call prehistoric. And uh, they'll describe leathery bat-like wings and certain features like, like a, a long tail. Yeah, kind of like a pterosaur. Pterosaur would be the larger family and then pteranodon and there's many different species within that. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating that, you know, it seems improbable that these things could actually exist, especially if they're flying around. But yeah, you'd see you think you'd see them, but you think it's so. such a massive world. Honestly, it's there's there's bound to be stuff that just we miss. Well, you know, that's kind of one of the tenets, the pillars of cryptozoology is that the process of discovery is ongoing and the planet is vast. And hey, you can't disprove wilderness. anything. You can't disprove it. It's you can't disprove an unknown. Right. And 
when it comes okay so terror terror birds you've been studying these for 20 something years what what's some evidence they've come across or some clues that that you've found well it's really all about the eyewitness testimony okay. um unfortunately there are not there's no physical trace trace evidence that's been found in terms of like giant feathers or eggshells or nests or anything like that a giant pile of bird crap on someone's car um there is uh, one kind of ambiguous controversial video that was shot in 1977 that shows two big birds in illinois but uh, it's very hard to, to tell exactly what they are yeah they look large um but you know the eyewitness testimony is pretty consistent, and they see that they seem to be in certain areas, which is kind of compelling that you have these clusters of sightings, and uh, you also have many Native American legends of thunderbirds, thunder beings from many different tribes. And the the Quetzalcoatlus, right? Is yeah, that's one that... that would be the Mexican, the Aztec uh, feathered serpent. Yep. Uh, here in uh, the U.S., we have the Cherokee Tlanawa. Yeah. It's a tough one to say. Uh, the Lakota people have something called the Wakanyan. Uh, there's the Pomala, the Benesi, Chegwe. So there's all these different Native American names for basically monstrous birds that are yeah. portrayed as being much larger than eagles or anything that, that condors or anything that should exist in North America. Yeah, that's oh, interesting with the terror birds. That's I've heard them before. I've, I've obviously, I've seen many shows, whether it's Ancient Aliens, which I've seen you on before, mm-hmm. whether it be some just other documentaries um, of just cryptid or cryptozoologists talking about it. So it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting topic. I've never been too fascinated by them. I'm more into like, I've been super fascinated by Bigfoot, aliens, and I have, I have here on the list that I've seen one is um, the the Jersey devil scares the crap out of me. That's one yeah. that is just, I've seen, I saw one documentary on that one. And I still have trouble sleeping when I think about it. Yeah. That's a creepy one for sure. There's supposedly there's a curse and uh, yeah. So isn't it like the physical like, description, there was a family or a, a husband and a wife and the wife had 12 kids and decided mm-hmm. to, to curse the third, the 13th one. That's the traditional story. Mother leads is her name. Yeah. Um, or some people say mother Lords, but uh, yeah, this happened back in 1735, I believe, that this Jersey devil was spawned, the 13th, the cursed 13th child of this poor mother Leeds, and uh, that it flew off into the night. Once it was born, it sprouted wings and other devilish features and kind of flew off into the night in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. Yeah, and, that's uh, the biggest. Yeah, it's, it's a good, good uh, legend. Um, the greatest flap or concentration of sightings occurred in January of 1909. And that's when you had for at least a couple week period, there were dozens of reports stemming from areas of Southern New Jersey and, wow. you know, across the Delaware river in Pennsylvania. And, uh, and then, you know, periodically there will be a, a, a sighting here or there. Now, obviously New Jersey is very famous for being full of, you know, drug addicts and drunks and people partying. So getting, I'm assuming when it comes Careful. to the, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not from New Jersey, but someone, no, no, no. I have a lot of friends from New Jersey. So. <laughs> but, but I did. You can, you can cast that aspersion. My sister lives in New Jersey and 
her section is kind of nice, but no, no, I'm uh, saying no, no. New Jersey has beautiful areas, <laughs> high class areas. I'm saying like when I'm talking about like I'm talking about the Jersey Strip is really the okay, little yeah, concentrated exactly. area. I'm yeah, talking yeah, about. yeah, you know. And it's when a, they're rough parts of town, sure. When it comes to being a cryptozoologist, do you find it hard getting like um, trustworthy testimonials? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, it's a it's a kind of a subjective process in terms of identifying if an eyewitness is credible or not. Yeah. And there are a lot of different factors. I have my own kind of rating system for eyewitness credit credibility. Um, the most convincing reports are those that involve multiple witnesses that you can interview separately that will corroborate each other and said, I saw it, she saw it, he saw it, we all saw it. You know, that's that's pretty convincing when you have all those those people. And then in terms of individual witnesses, you have you know, people that are trained observers, particularly of wildlife, people that are in the outdoors a lot and work with a lot of different kinds of animals tend to be better observers of, of animals and even unknown animals. Um, whereas, you know, Mr. City Mouse from Newark, you know, or whatever might, might get freaked out if he sees some big bird out in the country. Um, and then, you know, unfortunately, there are people um, that either have kind of it's unkind to say, but sort of delusional, you know, that's, that's the deter a determination that can be made sometimes yep. uh, based on if the story is just so sensational. Like there's a guy that, that told me he saw a Thunderbird with a 260 foot wingspan over wow. Pennsylvania. And that's so big that, you know, that's like Godzilla size. I mean, yeah, I it's, you know, but he seems sincere, but it just, it, it just doesn't make sense. And then, yep. you know, you also have hoaxers. That's a big, Unfortunately, a big part of the field also is dealing with people that are just making up stories or trying to get publicity or, or whatever. So maybe we'll hype it up to like try to bring business, right? When it comes to like, oh, we saw there's an alien abductee here. So they make a whole cafe around being an alien cafe. Um, yeah, well, there's that. But I mean, check this out. I mean, so many people these days have, you know, YouTube, TikTok yeah. channels, Instagram accounts or whatever. And, you know, what's going to get more click? you know, more clickbait than saying, you know, oh, a New Jersey devil, is this a Jersey devil that I just videotaped in my backyard or whatever? And you're going to probably get a million people that are just curious about that. So you know, I'm very curious to hear your take on aliens because I've actually had an experience before oh, wow. in my life. I was very young. I was like 10 years old and it was me, my mom and my dad. And we were on a highway at night and it was, I live in Florida. So it's, there's a, there's um. What was it? it was on Ever the Everglades was to our right. I don't know what road we were on, but the Everglades was to our right. And it was, I remember this vividly because we all stopped the car because we couldn't believe it. There was like this red ball of fire. It's what it looked like. It was this red ball of fire. It came down from, from the sky. We don't know where it came from. And it just wow. kind of hovered for a second. It looked like a red circle in the sky. Like we, we were looking at it, like we we're trying to make, make do with what it was. But then what really confused us were the movements it was making because it didn't just keep falling down. It kind of stopped and it looked like if you had a laser pointer on a wall, like there was zero friction. It was just going left, right, up, down, sideways. And then it just shot away. And we were just like, we were like left. I don't know if that was an, possibly an experience. I don't know if that was a natural phenomenon, but that was definitely something that I've stuck with my whole life. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing. That is amazing. Um, well, yeah, there, first, first of all, there seems to be a little bit of a confusion about, you know, where the lines blur between some of these different fields of the unexplained. It's true. I have been on ancient aliens. I've spoken at some UFO conferences. I have many friends and colleagues that investigate UFOs. 
cryptozoology is not really about aliens and ufos that's kind of like more ufology homegrown yep yeah so but i i do you know i've been interested in it since i was a kid all of these different mysteries i just haven't investigated aliens as much up but look i'm open-minded um certainly there seem to be objects and have been objects in the sky that are unidentified for you know going back to the 19th century and maybe you know in in the bible if you know if you really yeah. go back or some of the ancient aliens stories from from past civilizations um you know i i find it difficult and you know i always approach these things as scientifically as possible so like when i hear people that have written books saying that i've identified the 270 types of aliens here they are listed out I mean, <laughs> that, that, that's the type of knowledge that we can't possibly possess yeah. there isn't enough data to make that type of determination yep um on the other hand you know uh, even carl sagan who was a skeptic and others through the years have said well you know the universe the, the probability is with such a vast universe and so many star systems that there is life elsewhere in the universe and uh with that larger probability perhaps some alien forms did figure out ways to get from there to here <laughs> one yeah. of the fun one of the really fun theories that i like is you know the possibility that these ufos are actually from the future and yeah they're, they're us from the future i love that coming theory. back in time to just kind of like you know maybe who knows i mean it's all speculation maybe it's a but, future tour it's like something yeah, that they yeah, do for fun tourism or something yeah. but uh or maybe they're just studying the history or, you know, who knows? But I mean, that, you know, you can't rule that's, out that's that my possibility favorite either. It's, yeah. uh, it is possible. We know that we exist. And uh, as long as we can keep the planet alive, there's a good possibility that, you know, hundreds of years in the future, we'll have technology maybe to travel through time. So who knows? Awesome. Well, keeping it on cryptozoology, um, how, how big are you on Bigfoot? I'm big on Bigfoot. Awesome, because I know you, you have, we, we have the book. We have the book, right? We ordered the book for <laughs> the Bigfoot one that you wrote. Um, oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah, um, Bigfoot's the rock star, and I'm uh, Bigfoot's the rock star, and I'm the most on board about it. Everybody asks me, do you really believe in Bigfoot? I'm like, yeah, of course I do. Like, Bigfoot was, or let's say he is alive right now, he is a real animal, right? Wouldn't it be Gigantopithecus? Wouldn't that be Bigfoot? Um, that isn't a theory that's been out there for many years, uh, actually going back to the 50s, if you yeah. consider the Yeti. But um, I, I actually, in terms of the serious Bigfoot researchers now are, are less inclined to think that a surviving Gigantopithecus, and for those of your listeners that don't know, Gigantopithecus is a giant ape that lived in China, Asia, about up until about 100,000 years ago during the yep. Pleistocene, and it was all we have are its teeth and jawbones, so we don't know exactly how, but they were huge teeth and jawbones, so we know it was big. But did it walk upright? Did it look like a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch? That's the question. We don't know. Um, but there are a, there's actually a better candidate now that I think a lot of Bigfoot researchers are embracing, and it's a species called Paranthropus boisei, which was a robust Australopithecine that lived in Africa uh, maybe about a million years ago. And uh, it looked just like Bigfoot, except it was much shorter. Uh, yep. They were only about five and a half feet tall, but they had the sagittal crest, the pointy head, the very powerful built, big jaws. And they walked, they definitely walked upright. And so, you know, that I think that at least we can make an argument that it looks enough like a Bigfoot, that if something like that were still around and it had evolved and gotten bigger, bigger, yep. taller since a million years ago and had come across to North America, then that would really be a perfect description of a, of a Bigfoot. 
and what what kind of i guess um evidence or sort of clues have you come across when it comes to bigfoot have you had your own encounter oh yeah yeah i've uh i've never seen one with my own eyes but i've convinced i've heard them vocalize on a few occasions and one one time in particular august 18th 2003 uh, i heard and recorded one very close by it was grunting it sounded very much like an ape very powerful loud deep didn't sound like anything in north america that should exist in north america it wasn't a bear it wasn't a canid it wasn't a you know whatever bird deer and rut um couldn't see it it was in heavy brush but it was close by we did find some other evidence later on in that spot so um you know and i've heard some other noises uh kind of howls and um whoops and things that are more like primate type sounds so and i've found some you know footprints yeah you know large human-like footprints and things so would you think they're dangerous creatures or do you think they're just trying to like if you were to come across one, you think it would be aggressive towards you well um that's a good question i think any animal can be dangerous and should be respected particularly a large animal but i think that the bigfoot is mischaracterized as in a hyper aggressive monster that wants yeah, to okay, yeah people, people look at it as like a monster yeah no i, I view it as uh, again if you consider it something like paranthropus or some other surviving hominin it's probably about as intelligent as a chimpanzee or a little bit more uh <laughs> chimpanzees are pretty scary actually that, that's a whole nother topic we can get on <laughs> but um gorillas not so much but chimpanzees are but um I, I honestly think they're as, a, they're as afraid of us as we are of them and uh, that they've adapted survival uh, avoidance behaviors and that they're very good at staying away from humans. They live deep in the wilderness. They seem to be mostly nocturnal or crepuscular. They move around a lot or they're nomadic and they seem to be very aware of humans. So I think that there could be occasional situations where humans encounter them and there might be an aggressive you know, there are stories of them throwing stones at people and screaming and banging on walls and things like that. Uh, I do not advocate the belief that they're out there killing people, abducting people. I think they're just like any other large animal. They, you know, even a bear, bears typically are, are very cautious and reticent around humans. They're not necessarily hyper aggressive, except for maybe polar bears, but other bears are not so much. Mountain lions. I'm glad you mentioned die. polar bears because my next question to you was, when it comes to, you know, Bigfoot and Yeti, the, the normal situations that they're cousins, right? Or like they're the same species, but maybe different. Like we sure. have polar bears. Some species. Yeah, we have yeah. polar bears. We have grizzly bears. You know, one of the ice, one of the other. What's your, what's your take on Yetis? Well, first of all, Yetis are not white. So that's a misconception a lot of people have because of the way the media, they're portrayed in Disney movies and uh rudolph the red-nosed reindeer and you know some of the these abominable snowman <laughs> yeah we know that the footprints have been found in snow so i mean i guess it would be an assumption that they're white like polar bears but if you've actually listened to most of the accounts and most of the sightings are from the sherpa people that live in nepal and in the himalaya there uh they describe them typically as being brownish or brownish red fur so similar to a bigfoot or a sasquatch maybe not quite as tall you know i think the average height there is like six to seven feet versus seven and a half or eight feet here so yeah. so it could be a subspecies of bigfoot uh you know again if we consider a hypothetical trajectory where the 
Australopithecines like Paranthropus migrated out of Africa through Asia and then to North America when the continents were connected, then the Himalaya would have been right on the way. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, so they could have you know, stopped stayed there, behind, stopped there, and set up an outpost, or you know, a population started, and then they continued to migrate. So uh, many species do that. So well, they must definitely have a very elevated IQ for a primate when it comes to that, because. There has to be some reason we haven't found any like remains or dead bodies. And that's another like really big question that comes across. Like, do that's, they, like, do they bury their dead? It's a great question. Where are the remains? And there's a whole chapter in my Bigfoot book dedicated to that question. Look, intelligence can be demonstrated in a number of different ways. Uh, on your wall there behind you, I see what looks to be the tentacles of an octopus. Smartest, uh, smartest ocean animal. Octopi are cephalopods, they're mollusks. Yep. And, uh, but they have a brain, they have a complex brain that fires about a half a billion neurons and they can figure out problems and they can camouflage, they can do all kinds of amazing things. But, you know, are they intelligent? Well, they have a special type of intelligence for what they're good at. So it's the same way I think with Bigfoot or Sasquatch. I think they're intelligent enough, their intelligence lies in their ability to be elusive. So again, they've avoided, they recognize that Homo sapiens are their greatest enemy, that we would drive them to extinction or hunt them. And therefore they're very good at avoiding us, staying hidden. And again, that means staying on the move, in the dark, in areas we don't go. And they may bury their own dead. I mean, that's all speculation, but if they're, they may be smart enough to do that. Um, but, you know, I, I encourage people to think critically and to ask skeptical questions and the question you just ask is a perfectly acceptable skeptical question. Why haven't we found the remains? Yeah, it's the big one that I, I come across. And when it comes to me, I wouldn't consider myself a skeptic. You know, I, I really do consider myself a believer because to me, when it comes to that, my what I always tell people, well, it's more fun to believe than to not believe, right? It's, That's true. I'd rather just accept the fact that, hey, listen, you can't tell me they don't exist because you don't know if they do, right? So I'd rather believe that they do. And that's something I tell people. And it's, it's, I feel like it's just a more fun way to go about life. It, the world is definitely more fun. My world is more fun with Bigfoot in it. And that's exactly. For sure. And what I want to talk to you next is because, like you said, you know, I got a huge octopus. Um, our whole themes like underwater, even though we really don't. We've had marine biologists on before. And we've talked to people like that before. But I'm terrified. I personally am terrified of the ocean. Like, I just do not know what is down there. Other than the Loch Ness Monster, I'm not really familiar with any other, like, ocean cryptids. Well, we'll play off your poster there. What, what part of Florida are you in? We're South Florida, close to okay. Miami. Yeah. Well, up near Jacksonville, there's a place called St. Augustine. Yep. And in 1892, the remains of what could be a giant octopus washed up on a beach there and known as the St. Augustine monster. There were some tissue samples that were saved. And um, it was all documented by a local naturalist named um, uh, Verrill. I can't remember, E.W. Verrill, I think. Um, but anyways, um, yeah, it could have, could have been an octopus that was 120 feet long. Wow. Most likely now that tissue has been DNA tested and it probably was something else. Not <laughs> no, a, a whale. Oh. Well, blah, blah. that's what they say you know that's the current fine. but anyways for a while there we thought and there's still some that make that argument that no no it was a giant octopus so um you know there are a number of lake monsters around the world this the descriptions are very similar similar to a nessie type thing and by the way the 
image of the small head and the long neck poking out of the water like this, that is kind of a, a, another misconception because only about 15% of lake monster sightings describe a head and a neck. 85% just describe big humps that come like out a of Mosasaur. the water. Yeah, well, who knows? If it's a hump, it's a hump, right? Yeah. So could be a Mosasaur or something else. Um, I'm going to show know. you this, actually. Because my favorite animals are sharks, right? And mm -hmm. what better shark to be? Here we go. In fact, it's funny you said St. Augustine because I picked this up in St. Augustine when I mm. went there like 15 years ago. One of my most prized possessions is my... I have oh, a megalodon tooth. A nice little megalodon tooth. Yeah, that's nice. I got one about that size and I also have one someone just gave me as a necklace so oh, those are a, so ju cool. a juvenile megalodon that i'll put over my but yeah um yeah people it's... ask me about that could megalodon still be alive well it's believed now that megalodon was outcompeted by great whites and smaller sharks and that basically just the the ocean habitat changed about the time it supposedly died out which was i think probably about two million years ago at the end of the pliocene yeah. Um, it is not impossible that a version of Megalodon could have evolved into the deeper ocean, but uh, you know, while they were around, they were probably pelagic, swimming through the mid layers of the ocean and eating whales and things. So yeah. I think we would have, if, if Megalodon were out there, we would have a, certainly a better idea or better evidence than, than we do at this point. But it's, I hope it's, he is. <laughs> it's fun to romanticize. But I'm, I got to tell you, Esteban, I'm totally with you. I'm not a big fan of going in the ocean, going in the water, uh, you know, no, why sir. introduce yourself into the food chain? That's yeah, it's, it's not my area. You know what I mean? If, if any medium sized fish can kill me, right. It's I'm not made to be inside of the water. I mean, to be on land, put a shark in front of me on land. You're, you're a, a terrestrial story. species. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I'm all, I'm cool with pools. I go in any pool. I love pools, but I can't go into the ocean. That's my biggest fear. Me and my friend Dakota share that, that deathly fear of that. And um, I guess the final question to not drag this out so long, because I know we, so we're going to keep it between 15 and 20, is what is, do you think, the scariest encounter of any species or any cryptid or any story that you've heard or had yourself? Oh, gosh. Um, the scariest. Boy, that's a good one. Are we, and obviously we're, we're talking like more credible, right? Yeah, something that people, either there are a lot of stories out there that seem incredible. That yeah, I'm sure the people have been abducted by aliens and have been probed. But I'm talking about like something <laughs> that either you have seen or like gone through or know somebody close to you that you can verify as a credible source that has gone through something. Well, um, you know, in terms of Bigfoot, you have the Ape Canyon incident, which occurred in 1924, July of 1924. There were five miners up in um, near Mount St. Helens in Washington state that were encountering these Bigfoot creatures for, for a period of time. And then they shot one of them and uh, shot at one of them. And then according to the story that night, according to their testimony, the night after they shot one, they were, their cabin was attacked and there were several Bigfoots that were like trying to break in, crash the walls, reaching through and, throwing rocks and uh, this made the newspapers back uh, the Oregonian newspaper back in 1924 and so that's pretty scary if you can imagine a whole bunch of Bigfoots converging on your little I would just go outside and let them have me <laughs> so, <laughs> There's no, no, so I'd be too scared I'm like just kill me honestly like it, it's less scary if you just get it out of, out of the way that's 
Oh, and there's also a boy, uh, Marlon, we were talking about Thunderbirds earlier. The yep. Lawndale incident, July 25th, 1977, a nine-year-old boy named Marlon Lowe in Lawndale, Illinois, was picked up by a giant bird, one of two giant birds, and carried in its talons for about 35 feet, uh, very low off, you know, just, just barely off the ground. It couldn't yep. pick him up, and he managed to break loose. And this was observed by his parents, two other adults that were there, and two other kids. And uh, so that's pretty scary that you know, a little boy could be picked up by a big, presumably one of these Thunderbirds. Yeah, it's things. terrifying. Yeah. No, that's absolutely. Thank you for sharing those. Yeah, no, it's definitely, I've always had a fear of Bigfoot. Um, looking back at it, I have more respects for them than I, I do fear. Um, but it's just, you know, it's, it's the unknown. Like if yeah. I go camping all the time, if I come across a Bigfoot, I'm going to like get super, I'm not going to be, I'm going to be like, wow, look, Bigfoot, I'm so interested. Let me take a picture. I'm going to be like, I'm going to run yeah. for my life. You know, I, I, mean? think, I think most people would probably be scared in that situation. It is the unknown. I mean, we can speculate about what they'll do and their behavior, but it's an unknown and they're big. I heard they like <laughs> mimicking people. That's what, that's the powerful. scary part. Yeah. I heard a story of some lady in a cabin who apparently a Bigfoot came. She was alone. She was, I think she was a, a park ranger. I can't, I don't know what park I, I, I'm trying to find this story inside it, but she was alone and she kept hearing like these weird like noises and she went out to her window and there was a Bigfoot like face to face right right in front of her window and like she would turn her head and he would turn his head and like it would just mimic her and everything she did every time ever since I heard that story like I still get goosebumps creepy. yeah very it's, creepy. it's very eerie it's like well I mean what's next for Ken like what are you doing next what show is coming up what what's your next endeavor I'm excited oh. to... well thanks again for having me on Esteban it was uh, great to be here of course. Um, let's see. Uh, I can currently be seen on a series called The Proof is Out There on the okay. History Channel. Uh, the new season should be debuting, I guess, in October. I also have been filming some episodes of The Unexplained with William Shatner, also on History Channel. Awesome. Um, I do a lot of lectures around the country. So I will be at the Mothman Festival in Point Pleasant, West Virginia next weekend. And then I'll be at the Minnesota Bigfoot Conference and the Texas Bigfoot Conference in October. Any Florida conferences that we can maybe pop by? They do have. They've started a Florida Bigfoot Conference. Uh, I think it's in Lake City. Um, they've done it two years, and I haven't been invited yet, but I'm hoping maybe next year I'll get invited because I do have a lot of friends and supporters out in Florida. I would love well, to see. Well, if you get invited, we'll be there. 